This episode of the Late Night Gamecock Show was brought to you by LS2C Logistics and Lipscomb Consulting. Proud sponsors and proud supporters of Carolina Rise. Now here's Matt. You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Welcome into the Late Night Gamecock Show. This is episode 11 of the show, and I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. I'm recording this show on Thursday, July 20th, 2023. And as always, welcome back to the show. Again, my name is Matt Anderson, and I'm your host for all things Gamecock After Dark. You can reach me at latenightgamecockshow at gmail.com. Again, that is late night Gamecock Show at gmail.com or on the Big Sport message boards under the username Matt Anderson. So, those are the two ways you can find me. Um, I'm always happy to answer private messages, um, thread posts, whatever on the Big Spur, and then obviously the, the email address as well. A quick reminder this show records twice per week, Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays are usually spent recapping this past weekend, while Thursdays are spent previewing the upcoming weekend for Gamecock Sports. You know, usually we talk about the upcoming weekend for Gamecock Sports tonight, but there really isn't much to talk about, so I've found some other topics for us to discuss tonight. Again, thank you for joining me, and let's get on to the show On tonight's show, we're going to recap SEC Media Days as it relates to South Carolina, specifically Shane Beamer. Uh, We're going to talk about the MLB draft guys from South Carolina and what they signed for. Talk about Carolina Rise, partnering with Park Avenue for NIL opportunities for Gamecock Athletics. And then we're going to spend some time talking about where I think NIL will be in the next two to three years. And then to close out the show... We'll talk about where the Gamecock recruiting class could finish out this year in in regards to football recruiting. So, let's start with Gamecock baseball players in the Major League Baseball draft. Following the MLB draft earlier this month, all players associated with the South Carolina baseball program have confirmed their signings with their professional teams. Those players include six members of last year's Gamecock baseball team, which reached the Super Regional Round of the 2023 NCAA Baseball Tournament, and then two high school recruits. As of now, no players with remaining eligibility have signed free agent deals, apart from second baseman Will McGillis. He did sign a contract with the Los Angeles Angels. So while we can't say for sure that there aren't some free agent deals that are going to happen with the Gamecocks, I'm not anticipating that, but did want to make note that Will McGillis did sign a contract with the Los Angeles Angels. So getting into the players that have have signed and were drafted, right-handed pitcher Jack Mahoney was selected in the third round by the Colorado Rockies with the 77th overall pick. And he signed for $925,000. So that's his signing bonus. That's what he gets for signing his name to paper. And it's slightly less than slot value. Slot value here was $930,000 and $930,600. And, you know, to get $925,000, that just shows you that 
Mahoney had a number. He had a he had a team that was willing to select him there. So hats off to the, both the organization, the Colorado Rockies, and Jack Mahoney for coming to an agreement and getting pretty much what slot value was. Will Sanders was um, a right-handed pitcher for the Gamecocks, and he was chosen by the Chicago Cubs in the fourth round, 113th overall. And his signing bonus contract amounted to $600,000, which is actually slightly above slot. Slot there was 591000 So good for him. For those of you that don't know, when a player gets drafted, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to sign for the slot value from the previous draft class. Uh, teams hold money back for, you know, maybe some high school players that were drafted later, some guys at the top of the draft that might want a little bit more money. So it's always a kind of a roll of the dice on where these players end up on, you know, how much money they get paid for a signing bonus versus where they were drafted. But it's always good for a guy like Will Sanders to get a little bit over slot. That just means that the Chicago Cubs maybe are not going to be able to sign some of their guys they drafted later in the draft. But good for good for Will Sanders. Uh, the big number here is high school recruit um, and outfielder George Walkow. Walkow, Walko. You know, you guys know me and and pronouncing names sometimes, but. He was picked by the Chicago White Sox in the seventh round, 209th overall. Um, slot value there was $248,000, and he signed for $1 million. So that just goes to show you what I was talking about a moment ago, where sometimes these teams will sign people for over slot. And when when George fell to the seventh round, you know there were probably some teams trying to find money for him, and the White Sox definitely found that money because you know for a lot of these guys it's especially the high school kids like they have a number and you're gonna have to hit it or they're going to school and the White Sox definitely hit that number there for George Noah Hall was selected by the New York Mets in this also in the seventh round um 216th overall Hall signed for $176,250 for his signing bonus which is a little bit below slot slot was $192,000 so he pretty much got what he should have in the seventh round, so good for him. Shortstop, Braylon Wimmer, was picked by the Rockies, um, just like Jack Mahoney, in the eighth round, 232nd overall. His contract, or his signing bonus, is $150,000, well, slightly above that, $157,050 to be exact, which was about, about $50,000 below slot value. So... Braylon had his number. The Rockies matched it. Happy for him. Happy for Mahoney. James Hicks was selected in the 13th round. And, yeah, obviously Hicks was a pitcher for the Gamecocks. And he got drafted um, by the Astros. And he signed for $150,000, which, if you don't know, um, day three selections have a maximum salary or maximum signing bonus of $150,000. So he, he got that amount of money. High school recruit Rowdy Rodriguez was chosen by the Angels in the 19th round, and he signed for $100,000. So just another day three pick. He didn't quite get the $150,000 maximum that Hicks did, but he did get $100,000. Kate Alston um, was picked by the Yankees in the 19th round, and he also signed for the maximum $150,000. So good good for Cade. Um, Happy for him. Could Cade have made some more money coming back? Maybe, but at the same time, I think Cade was just ready to get on with his professional career. And, you know, you can't hate on a kid for getting $150,000 to go play baseball. So 
Really excited for him. Really excited for all these guys. It's worth noting that as of tonight, uh, right-handed pitcher Matthew Duffy, who committed to the Gamecocks from the NCAA transfer portal, and he was at Canassus, he was chosen by the Boston Red Sox in the fourth round. He's not signed his contract yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in the next few days. Probably just trying to figure out you know, money and you know what players are going to sign for what amount of money for the Red Sox. And he was kind of a reach in the fourth round, but anytime a guy gets drafted in the top ten rounds, you can pretty much bet your bottom dollar that they will end up signing with the team that drafted them. So, like I said last last episode, you know Matt Duffy, we hardly knew you. Wish you well. Hope you get as much money as you possibly can. But if, if the numbers are not right, come come to the Garden in Black, and we'll have fun watching you watching you next year. Worth noting, there is one more big-name recruit that South Carolina is trying to add to the roster for next season. South Carolina is looking for a boost in their pitching staff, and it's looking it's looking decently okay. I don't want to give you guys the interpretation or the or just, you know, the feeling that this is a sure thing, but we're looking for a left-handed pitcher and Jake McCoy has re-entered the market after um, decommitting from Wofford when they had a coaching change. The the kids from Catawba Ridge, he's the number four number four player in the state according to Diamond Prospects. He's a lefty that can get up to ninety five miles per hour. He had an eight and two record this past year in high school with a one point six five ERA. Struck out one hundred and five batters and fifty five and a third innings with only twenty seven hits and thirty walks allowed. So. If the Gamecocks can get Jake McCoy, he's probably a guy that's going to factor into the pitching rotation or the bullpen next year. And a power lefty like that is hard to find. He he would he might be the crown jewel of the recruiting class if the Gamecocks can get him. Like I mentioned a moment ago, McCoy did get a release from his his NIL or NLI. Gosh, I'm so used to saying NLI right now or NIL, but. Yeah, so it's a national letter of intent from Wofford. There was a coaching change. South Carolina is a strong contender here. He's already known Monty Lee for a while. He's getting to know Matt Williams. Uh, he's watched the Gamecocks kind of growing up around here, and he, he likes the Gamecocks. He's never been to like an official visit or an unofficial visit to South Carolina, but he has pitched at Founders Park. Uh, just kind of thinking about some things to tell you here. He is looking at some some other ACC and SEC schools, and he's got a lot of guys, a lot of programs that are after him right now, a lot of college baseball teams. So, With only one experienced pitcher and two left-handers in the 2023 recruiting class for the Gamecocks, the Gamecocks are, are really hoping that they can add him. It might just be one of those things where the stars align and the Gamecocks are able to get him. So. Cross your fingers if you're a Gamecock baseball fan, if you're a Gamecock in general. McCoy would be a humongous get at this point in the recruiting season. Quickly, I do want to talk about Carolina Rise. Uh, Carolina Rise is a NIL, so NIL, not NLI, who um, works with a lot of Gamecock athletes, and they have recently partnered with Park Avenue. Park Avenue is... Um, a marketing firm that works specifically with the University of South Carolina athletes. Uh, I'm not going to get into the numbers or the facts and figures, but it, it costs a pretty penny to be associated with, with um, Park Avenue. And 
Park Avenue guys probably gave the, the Gamecocks a little bit of a sweetheart deal. They are Gamecock fans at their upper leadership. But Carolina Rise, Park Avenue have formed a partnership. We've talked about Park Avenue for a while. It really is a game changer when it comes to the University of South Carolina and name, image, and likeness and and what can happen for these student-athletes. I made a post today on the Big Spur talking about, you know, if you're one of those guys or gals that gives $18.01 per month to Carolina Rise as an 1801 member, this is the this is this kind of partnership is the way that 1801 might turn into $1,081 a month with what Park Avenue is able to do from a marketing and branding aspect. Park Avenue does not take a penny from any player. They work strictly on the player's behalf, and right now Carolina Rise is footing that bill for Park Avenue for the University of South Carolina. We had some legislation that came down where the University of South Carolina was no longer able to pay from university funding for Park Avenue. And so now with an NIL collective kind of footing the bill for these student athletes, it it really is a game changer. And I'm so proud of my friend JC for getting this across the finish line. At one point, we didn't know how Park Avenue was going to be able to stay in place in the University of South Carolina. But when you see these deals that Nicholas Harbor has, when you see the deals that Juice Wells has, the Spencer Rattlers, the baseball team, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but this is this is a big deal. This is how you know you take a million dollar collective and turn it into a ten million dollar collective with what Park Avenue can do. So what sets Carolina Rise apart is that most of its funding comes from small contributions of Gamecock fans. There's not, you know, millionaires or billionaires funding this thing. So it creates a unique crowdsourcing model for the NIL domain. The partnership with Park Avenue further harnesses the collective power of fans to provide a meaningful impact in the University of South Carolina athletic kind of world. And that's one of the things that I try to enforce, that if you can donate to Carolina Rise, even if it's $5, even if it's $10 a month, it's an 1801 club, if it's more than that, your dollars really go really far because all of a sudden South Carolina can partner with, you know, a company that is willing to, willing to, you know, use an athlete for branding and it just goes a long way. So really excited for Carolina Rise Park Avenue. Park Avenue's role is to offer comprehensive agency resources. So think about like a sports agent um, to South Carolina student athletes at no cost to the athlete. It focuses on individual branding, social media reach growth, and tailor-made deals that align with each athlete's unique brand. I always think back to South Carolina baseball player Joey Pancake. He could have had a field day with name, image, and likeness with his last name. I have a buddy that um, has another unique last name, and he actually played baseball for an in-state school. And we were talking this weekend. We were just having a couple a couple um, beers at, at the lake. And he said, man, I would have been calling anybody and everybody if NIL was something that I could have done when I was in college based on his last name. So really, really fun, really cool way that they're able to work with these kids. Um, basically what Park Avenue does, they try to negotiate team-wide deals as well that could benefit all players on a particular team roster. So it's not always just one particular player. But if a player has a unique brand, like the guy I'm talking about that played in-state at a, 
uh, South Carolina college baseball program. Uh, there are there are opportunities there. So some of the notable successes include securing numerous deals for Gamecocks wide receiver Juice Wells, um, arranging partnerships for nine baseball players, and negotiating endorsement contracts for freshman track and field star and future South Carolina football star Nicholas Harbor. The fact that Park Avenue offers all these services to athletes for free is a distinguishing factor since most of these NIL agencies charge a commission of 20 to 30%. So think about, you know, if you sign a deal for $1,000, all of a sudden this NIL agency that's representing you is going to get 20 to 30% of the money that you're able to secure. So this aligns with the vision of my friend, JC Sherbert, the co-owner of Carolina Rise. Uh, this is a win-win for Park Avenue. It's a win-win for Carolina Rise. It's a win-win for the University of South Carolina. It's a win-win for the, the college athletes because they're going to get expert agency folks working on their behalf, and they get to realize 100% of the revenue from these deals. So really excited there. Uh, can't, can't emphasize enough how important Park Avenue is, how important this 11 out of 10 project is. And, and we'll talk about the 11 out of 10 project once you see the renderings um, probably in either later this month or August. I think it's definitely going to be before the college football season to, to kind of bring some buzz. But between Park Avenue and the 11 out of 10 project, if you don't know what the 11 out of 10 project is, um, Basically, what I can tell you is the area around williams Bryce Stadium and the stadium itself are about to get a massive, massive facelift. Uh, if you, This isn't going to be speaking your tongue out of cheek, but if you can imagine like the battery for the Atlanta Braves, that, that's kind of what they're hoping to you know, put around williams Bryce Stadium, which would make it pretty unique because a lot of the college football programs throughout the Southeast and the nation – these college football stadiums are on campus and that gives the university of South Carolina a distinct advantage because there is a lot of acres. There's a lot of undeveloped land around Williams Bryce stadium. You don't, wouldn't have to tear down buildings of the college to create something. So keep your eyes peeled and your ears open for the 11 out of 10 project. Um, 11 out of 10 comes from Tony Morrell. Tony Morrell was asked about this and someone said on a scale of one to 10, how would you, you know, portray this this opportunity for South Carolina, and Tony said 11 out of 10. So uh, Tony definitely knows what he's talking about. I've had some conversations with a lot of people about this, so excited for that. Going back to some of the main topics here, um, I want to talk about what I think the name, image, and likeness will look like heading in the next two to four years. So here's just my take. First, I see some rules coming from the NCAA kind of like a salary cap structure that you see in professional sports, but it might allow colleges to pay their athletes through NIL collectives or the university itself, a certain amount of money and anything over that could be taxed. So I think the cool part about that is the extra tax money could be shared among sports that don't make much money. So for example, college soccer might get a piece of that pie. I don't know if you guys listened to Lane Kiffin today at SEC Media Days, but he was a pretty harsh critic of NIL. And his main point was if you want to know the schools that are spending the most money on NIL, just look at the the high school recruiting rankings at the end of the recruiting season and then look at you know what players are transferring different places. And while I agree with, with Lane Kiffin, and, I, and I'm a big proponent that you know the – 
the average fan shouldn't be responsible for footing the bill for this. I really do think that it should be the university, the the conference, through TV deals, through apparel deals, you know, funding this until we have some kind of change in legislation or change in the NCAA, which might not happen, by the way. I mean, the NCAA might be short-lived. I know there's a lot of colleges that are exploring the opportunity to have, you know, 20 to 50 to 60 to 80 of the best schools in the country kind of creating their own conference, getting away from the NCAA. So while I think that, you know, looking forward, there's probably going to be some kind of rules that come down on NIL. I can't say that for sure. But next, I think that, um, you know, each, each sports league might have different salary caps or each conference based on their TV revenue. Because I don't think it's fair that the ACC, which has a much smaller TV rights deal, should have the same amount of money allocated to players that the SEC or the Big Ten does. So I don't know how, it's, how exactly it's going to work out, but let's face it, TV money is big. And at some point, the TV money is going to have to benefit the student-athletes in some way, shape, or form, or NIL is just going to get completely out of hand. Uh, I think that apparel contracts are probably going to have something to do with this as well. We talked about that on the NIL, NIL episode two or three episodes ago. I can't remember, but just how much money the school does make off apparel deals. And personally, I like to see the apparel companies kind of stay out of the NIL and stay out of you know, how much money is getting allocated different programs simply because the the Duke basketballs, the North Carolina basketballs, the UCLA's, the Kansases are going to get more money from apparel deals because that just secures high school athletes going to those schools where then, the, you know, the apparel companies can, can then say, okay, well, we took care of you. We got you to Kansas. You paid a lot of money and, or you went to North Carolina or Duke. And so now it's time for you to sign with us. So, I think that TV rights deals are the way to go, but we'll see. We'll see. One of the other things, and this is kind of like just like a random thought that I've had here recently, but I've thought about reclassifying for college football and the NIL kind of landscape. And one of the things that I've thought a lot about is, you know, why wouldn't some of these high-end high school recruits that are juniors not try and prepare themselves to graduate early and enroll at the college of their choice like college basketball players do. All the time you see college basketball players who end up reclassifying, like Gigi Jackson, great example. Like He reclassified because it meant that he started his second contract with the NBA faster. So they, the players make way less money on their first contract than they do their second contract. So I've been thinking about this and how it might relate to college football and I was thinking that if you have, we all we all know about those signing day flips or those um, transfer guys that transfer out of the out of the program. Like think about like a Gilbert Edmonds, a uh, Jordan Birch, Jaheim Bell, and all of a sudden you know that college team is scrambling trying to find uh, someone to fulfill that role. I don't know why we don't see more quarterbacks, running backs, defensive ends. I'm trying to think of like those high leverage, high value positions why wouldn't they just essentially get their credit hours so they could reclassify come to school a year early leverage nil because there is such a demand and a need for that particular roster spot when you think about quarterbacks especially i mean quarterbacks have to 
all quarterbacks except for like the elite of the elite probably need a year to redshirt before they're ready to start a meaningful game in college. So if I'm a five-star junior, why am I not saying, hey, I'm going to reclassify. You missed out on your you know, stud five-star quarterback. Think about like Ole Miss. They missed out on Arch Manning. He went to Texas. Why would I not just say, hey, I'm going to reclassify and I'm willing to come to Ole Miss if you know the, the NIL package and the branding is there for me and then I'll redshirt for a year. And then I'll start on redshirt freshman year. Same thing with running backs. Running backs, in my mind, running back is the easiest position to come out of high school and play. So why wouldn't a running back just say, hey, I mean, I don't want to have a million carries on my body as early as possible because when I get to the NFL, I'm going to have one contract. That I mean, you think about NFL running backs and, it's very rare for a lot of these guys to get second contracts that are worth the same amount of money as a wide receiver or quarterback or defensive end, linebacker, DB. Running backs are definitely the, the one position in the NFL that make the least amount of money comparatively to other positions. So why wouldn't I come to University of South Carolina, University of Florida, University of, you know, you pick the school and say, I'm going to spend a year. I might be able to play. I might be able to get some meaningful carries. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get faster, and I'm going to be better off. Same thing for defensive end. Why wouldn't a defensive end say, hey, I'm going to come to school a year early, pay me some money in NIL, and then at that point I'm going to get stronger, faster, quicker, and there's probably going to be a role for me on third downs my freshman year. And we talk about accelerating the clock for college basketball players because it's a one-and-done era. Or I think it's one-and-done or age 19, whatever comes first. So why wouldn't these players just say, hey, I need to be three years removed from college or age 21 before I can go to the NFL? Why don't I accelerate that clock, especially in an era where I'm going to get paid to go to school, essentially? I'm going to have a name, image, and likeness. I'm going to have a brand. I'm going to be marketable. I'm going to be more marketable a year earlier than I would be if I waited a year and went to college. So I don't know how colleges are going to handle that, but I definitely think you'll see that in the next two to four years. If I was a high school football coach, maybe not a high school football coach, because I'd want those players to stick around a little bit longer than um, going a year early. Cause I mean, those guys are state championship level guys that really help you get over the top. But I, I'm honestly surprised I haven't heard more about this idea. It's a strategy we see in college basketball. I think it's going to eventually be common in football as well. As long as it makes sense for both the athletes and the college programs, I think this can turn into a win-win situation, helping schools use their NIL funds effectively and allowing players to start earning earlier while reducing risk and gaining valuable experience. So in my opinion, this could be a game-changing approach in college football recruitment. I don't know if Shane's listening to this or any other college football coach or assistant coach is listening to it, but I would definitely consider this if I was them. You know, when I miss out on a player, I'm trying to build depth. You know, there's always that one-time transfer risk, but go ahead and get them in the program. See if you can get them some NIL branding and, you know, especially those positions that you're working with and needing on a year-in, year-out basis for depth and building for the future. All right, so let's talk about Shane Beamer at Media Day today. One of the things that always strikes me about Shane is how genuinely excited and grateful he is to be at SEC Media Days. I've noticed that from his first Media Day to now, I believe it's his third, he's getting a lot more 
I don't want to say calm or reserved, but a lot more just, he looks like he belongs, which is something that's really cool. Uh, Shane remarked on the prestige of the SEC, consistent dominance in the NFL draft, and you know, just like a magnetic pool for players and coaches alike. Everybody wants to play in the SEC. Everybody wants to coach there. And Lane Kiffin said today he was having a conversation with somebody saying, why would you want to go to the NFL when you can coach in the SEC? You know, the competition level is so fierce and so strong week in and week out. And a lot of these college guys get paid more than NFL head coaches. Why would you want to go to the NFL? And I think Shane kind of – he kind of understands that and he understands that, you know, what this opportunity is. And every time he gets on the podium, you can tell that he is very thankful and very – I mean, he's gotten so chill. I know we had some times last year with the media where he got a little – little flustered probably because of his offensive coordinator but really cool to see Shane out there he definitely fits the part Shane brought along Spencer Rattler Kai Kroger and Taka Hemingway and they represented South Carolina football at SEC Media Day Shane talked about Rattler's impressive career at Oklahoma and the excitement surrounding his return as quarterback at the University of South Carolina uh, Tonka was praised for his, you know, transition from defensive tackle to defensive end for the bowl game. Tonka's just a really good kid that's so f- super flexible. So excited for Tonka. When it comes to Kai Kroger, you know, Beamer said the absolute truth that Kai Kroger is the best punter in the nation. He's a great student athlete. He's a great student, and he he kind of he kind of made me laugh because he talked about you know Kai Kroger has three passing touchdowns as a punter and we're hoping for a couple more this year so I think he just kind of kind of wanted to throw a little a little wrinkle into any other um, team on the Gamecock schedule this year talking about you know what Kai Kroger can do and keeping teams on pins and needles speaking about the this year's team Beamer emphasized their ambition and their hard work uh, Shane talked about how their summer was spent you know working in the weight room working under Luke Day, and stressing the importance of avoiding complacency. Shane talked about how you know a couple of years ago the Gamecocks were a two-win team, then they were a seven-win team, then they were an eight-win team, and how easy it would be after beating Tennessee and getting down 14 nothing to Clemson, how easy it would have been to say, oh, we had a good run, you know, it's just not our day. But the guys, you know, obviously you worked through that 14 nothing deficit beat Clemson for the first time in seven years. And the coaches are really stressing eight wins is not enough. Nine wins is not enough. There is no enough at the University of South Carolina. Shane was excited about the arrival of 38 new players and the addition of offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins. He talked about how he's known Dowell for a really long time, always gone to the NFL teams that Dowell's been been around and tried to learn from him so he he couldn't have been more excited for Dow Loggins he talked about he talked about how in the past two years South Carolina has led the conference in offensive turnovers whether it be interceptions or fumbles and how that has to change and that's something that's been told to me kind of behind the scenes is Shane was not happy over the last two years with the looseness with the ball the looseness with decision making the utter failure of realizing where the ball should go in the right situation. And I think that was a lot of confusion from the previous offensive coordinator. It was a complex scheme, a complex system, and it's really hard for players to think and play football. You really just want them playing football. So 
excited about Dowell Logan. Shane was excited about Dowell. Uh, Shane talked about you know the inconsistency, especially on offense. On the defensive end, the goal is to continue to be opportunistic. Uh, under you know obviously Clayton White and um, those guys on the defensive side of the ball have done a really good job in forcing turnovers. So really capitalizing on turnover margin was something Shane kind of really hit on this go around. As for special teams, you know Beamer just said that. He he expects success under under Pete Limbo. All key specialists returning, long snapper, punter, kicker. Shane also talked about you know what the guys did off the field. It was a team record in the highest GPA for a Gamecock football team ever this past spring semester, and there were eight players on the team that had 4.0 GPAs. Shane talked about competition and improvement as kind of like recurring themes with this year's team. He talked about past mistakes, like their high turnover rate. You know, we talked about all this, but I'm kind of just thinking about everything he said. And I guess lastly, he talked about like the need to run the football and stop the run. You guys all know how important that is. That's the bread and butter of any college football team. You got to run the ball and you got to stop the run. And Steve Spurrier did a really good job with that when he was in South Carolina. Uh, Shane talked about the schedule. The schedule is pretty challenging. Ten of the 12 games on the schedule are against SEC or teams that played for the ACC championship last year. So tough schedule, but I don't think anybody on the Gamecock roster or um, the coaching staff would have it any other way. Shane did talk about um, recent success in recruiting. Last year was the best year we've had in over a decade recruiting, and and he feels like the 24 Class is going to be, it's on track to be even better. Uh, Closing it out, and these are just from my notes, y'all. Shane talked about the excitement and momentum surrounding the program. He emphasized his commitment to creating a strong culture. He highlighted the importance of people in achieving success. So it's all about people. He said, you know, we've made a lot of progress in two years, but the best days of South Carolina football are still in front of us. I'm convinced of that, and it's because of the people that we have in our program. You win with people, and I couldn't reemphasize that enough. There, it's a, it's a little bit different than under Will Muschamp, and you know what what Shane is doing with this team from a morale standpoint. These kids will run through a brick wall for him. They they hate to see, um, they hate to see Shane upset because he pours so much of his his heart and soul into these guys every single day. So, I think. Obviously, I'm a big Shane guy. I think that Shane is the right guy for the job and excited for this upcoming year. And media days didn't change anything for me. Uh, Shane did quickly talk about like the injury situation. Essentially, everybody's healthy right now. Jordan Strong and Mo Kamba are still recovering from surgeries they had last year. They might start the preseason kind of kind of slowly working their way in. But Shane thinks that both those players should be ready to go 100% when the first game rolls around. Recruiting, Shane just talked about the ongoing importance of recruiting players for the Gamecocks. He he talked about he's excited to announce some commitments from players via his welcome home tweets, but just wanted fans to remember that the recruitment process is a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, Beamer pointed out the high-caliber players already committed for this year and emphasized that you know, while 
a lot of fans might wish for more recruits this July. Sunny Day is still five months away, and he's also conscious that he can't secure every player, and some choose to stay local or go to other prestigious teams. But Shane's really optimistic about the future. He's looking forward to developing the 2024 class, and there's just a lot of time remaining until December. So Matt's take on this, touching on Shane's points, I wanted to remind everyone that on a per-player rating average, South Carolina still has the 11th best recruiting class in the country. The team rankings you see where they're ranked 22nd, 23rd on the 24-7 team rankings are based on total players committed, not per-player talent. I encourage everybody wringing their hands over some recent misses like you know, the Keelan Adams of the world. Um, there's another guy we missed on recently. Uh, we talked about him last episode, but... Um, oh, Malcolm Ziegler. I don't even really consider that one a miss, to be honest. But right now, South Carolina will likely have 10-plus 10, 10 four- or five-star players committed before the season kicks off in Charlotte. And me, personally, I can't remember a time that's ever happened prior to the season starting. There's been some times we've had 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever, you know, four- and five-star players at the end of the recruiting class. But to have those players right now is is really awesome. And I think we're going to get some more. South Carolina is going to have a very strong class this year. The Gamecocks currently have 13 players committed. And remember, a lot of teams around the country already have 15-plus, 17-plus, 20-plus. I think Georgia – has 26 players committed already. So if you're wringing your hands over Georgia taking our guys, like they're not going to be able to take that many more. And when you look at the, the teams that are ahead of South Carolina right now, some of those teams are like Stanford, Arkansas, Nebraska, Wisconsin, North Carolina. And I wouldn't trade South Carolina's class for any of those. All those ranked ahead of South Carolina right now are ranked there from a total class perspective. They have so many kids committed that they get more points per player than South Carolina gets for you know the 13 they have committed. So remember, it's not a per-player talent level. It's a totality of the class, and the Gamecocks aren't just going to take 13 players this year. So I know it doesn't seem like it as you watch other teams pass the Gamecocks right now and the, and the team rankings, but the coaches are being very selective with who they take right now. There are going to be players that pop up later in the process, and the staff knows who they're going to get, or they have a good idea of who they're going to get, and they know how much room they have in the class. So they're not going to take a kid in July just to make their July recruiting ranking go higher. That's not what the coaches are going to do. And I was talking to a poster on our message board recently about he kind of worried that recruiting was kind of fading right now and talked about we only have like four marquee guys that are left. Everybody else we're going to take is going to be you know, lower ranked, which is going to knock our, our per player rating down. And I just tried to reemphasize to him that it, this is a marathon. That It is not done right now. And, you know, when you lose guys to, to local programs like Ziegler, North Carolina, and, and Adams to Virginia Tech, I'm, I'm not saying the Gamecocks are going to flip either of those guys because I don't know that. I think there's a chance with Keelan Adams and, like we talked about before, whatever happens to Mac Brown. I don't know, but, you know, I think that most of the guys that are in our class right now are going to stay pretty stable in the rankings, but I think there's a possibility for a few of them rising. Um, But the guys that are 
that are four stars, five, or we don't have any five stars at the moment. But the guys that are four stars, I think are going to stay four stars. And I think you can see offensive lineman Blake Franks and running back Matthew Fuller eventually get to four-star status, especially with big years um, or all-star game competitions and whatnot. And then um, David David Busey, Bucky, however you pronounce his name, he should be a high three-star player in my opinion. So I don't think he can get to four-star, but he should go a little bit higher. And, and don't forget that punters and kickers never get high grades. So while... Pete Limbo thinks that Mason Love is, you know, the top punter in the country, and whatever Pete Limbo says, I'm down for. He's definitely worth the scholarship. He is going to drag down our recruiting ranking to a certain extent on the in the overall team rankings, but then also like the per player ratings. So going back to what I talked about this poster, talked to this poster about is, you know, in addition to possibly adding Dylan Stewart, a five star, Daniel Hill, Jonathan Paler, and Jalewis Solomon, all four stars. The Gamecocks are still recruiting four-star offensive lineman Elijah Thurman. He's an 89.2 on the rating scale. The Gamecocks are currently 91.1, I believe. There's a a defensive lineman that's not ranked named Jahar Franklin, but he has offers from South Carolina, TCU, Maryland, Arizona State, Auburn, Michigan, Southern Cal. So once he gets ranked, he's probably a high three-star, low four-star kid. Still, you got three-star defensive lineman Marcus Downs from South Carolina, three-star wide receivers Marion Lang, four-star athlete Cameron McKell, who was kind of between South Carolina and Georgia, and, and no rush to make a commitment, but Georgia's kind of filling up. So, I mean, that's a four-star athlete, 94 out of 100. Four-star defensive end King Joseph Edwards, a 92 out of 100. He's the kid that the Gamecocks kind of the Gamecocks and a lot of other programs just want to watch his senior film and see what he looks like. His his film was kind of lacking just because of it was only two games. So, and I don't know if he's camped very many places. So people just don't know what he is. And then, obviously, you have three star defensive lineman Dinas White. Dinas White. Uh, he's only an eighty seven point seven, but he's a he's a good player that a lot of teams are in on. So if you look at that seven that I just mentioned, I'm not going to rename them just in sake of time. Plus the four that we talked about, you know, the Daniel Hills, the Dylan Stewarts, the, um, gosh, uh, Jonathan Paler and Jalewis Solomon. Sorry, guys, I've been talking for 41 minutes. You kind of lose train of thought sometimes. But if you take that, that's, that four plus the seven guys we just talked about, that's 11 of the 12 remaining scholarships that we're kind of targeting, the 25-man class. So the Gamecocks aren't going to land all those guys, but – you know, 11 out of 12, and that's looking pretty dang good. And that would probably be a top 10, maybe even higher class in the country. And that's not including guys they might flip. I know they're still working some some guys that have committed to other places or guys that are going to pop on the scene late with big senior years. I always remind you guys of the, the Devo Samuels of the world and the Pharaoh Coopers of the world and the guys that used to go to the Shrine Bowl and all of a sudden pop, and then they were just huge names. Um so keep that in mind. I don't think any of the the kids that the Gamecocks are going to take the rest of the way are going to take the game tank the Gamecocks in like average player rating, considering their class so far. So I think once the dust settles, the Gamecocks will have a top fifteen class and maybe even higher on a per player rating scale. So still anticipating the Gamecocks get a top fifteen class in the country. And so I agree with Shane. This is going to be one of the best classes the Gamecocks have had in a long time. I encourage you guys to not get caught up in July rankings, but 
you know, signing day rankings. And there is a lot of time left. There are a lot of good players out there. And South Carolina should get their fair share of them. But everybody, that's all the time that we have tonight. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Late Night Gamecock Show. As always, you can reach me at late night gamecock show at gmail.com. Again, that's late night gamecock show at gmail.com. Or you can find me on the Big Spur message boards under the username Matt Anderson. I hope that you all have a great night, and I will talk to you Monday. <laughs>